Thanks for listening to the Master Brewers podcast. Did you know that Master Brewers offers a wide range of technical resources for breweries of all sizes? Whether you're new to brewing or a seasoned expert, join our community to connect with key players in the profession and stay up to date on the latest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Become a member of Master Brewers with code BEER2022 to save 20% on your membership dues now through December 31st. United We Brew. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to getbrewninja.com and using the code BREWNINJA21. To my surprise, the cannabis was just as capable of driving hop creep as the hops. And that was, a, that was an eye-opening experience. This week on the show... The quest to determine the origin of hop creep takes an interesting twist. Hi, my name is Matthew Cottrell. I'm the quality manager and microbiologist at the Heavy Seas Beer Brewery in Baltimore, Maryland. Describe what you typically experience in regards to hop creep in your brewery. Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, currently at the Heavy Seas Brewery, we do not experience hop creep, and that's because we have a flash pasteurizer that kills any yeast that would be in the beer after centrifugation before it goes to the bright tank into packaging. So we don't have any uh, possibility for continued attenuation or continued carbonation in the, in the package. It looks like you've done a whole lot of work on hop creep for a guy that doesn't have to worry too much about hop creep. Yeah, well, I, 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 so I got hooked on this question uh, because when I entered the, the, the brewing industry in 2016, that was right around the time that this question was really starting to evolve. And uh, I was really intrigued by it. Uh, and there was very little known at the time, so it was very mysterious. Uh, I didn't have... An, at the, in 2016, I really didn't have the tools at my disposal 
or the time because I was just you know new on the job. I was you know working like crazy. I didn't have any spare time, uh, but but I was following the story as it was coming out. And uh, you know, fast forward to uh, working in a in a bigger brewery uh, with a little more experience under my belt, a little more you know organization uh, that allowed me some time to work uh, with the head brewer at the time, who uh, likewise was uh, interested in this question. This was at the single cut uh, production facility in upstate New York. And uh, Chris Dufresne and I uh, were like-minded about this. We were puzzled. We thought, ah, this was, this was like 2019, 2020. And, um, you know, we, uh, at the time, we were still really uh, not convinced that it was real. And if it was real, it was just a consequence of there being um, fermentables associated with the hops. And so we, we decided to just rule that out by doing a, a, a quick and dirty experiment uh, by dry hopping a forced attenuation assay, which we do anyway. That just meant setting up a couple of extra flasks. Uh, we added hops to one. We added autoclaved hops to another. Came back. Two days later, and lo and behold, um, the autoclaved hop treatment did not show hop creep, which suggested that there was something uh, heat labile associated with the hops that was causing the over-attenuation, whether it be uh, some enzyme that's on the hops or something alive that's on the hops. Uh, because autoclaving the, the hops uh, would denature proteins. Uh, if it was an enzyme, it'd be inactivated. But if it was simply fermentable sugars on the hops, the autoclave would heat them up and then they'd cool down again and they'd still be fermentable and you would see hop creep. But we didn't see that. Um, you know, we saw that autoclaving eliminated hop creep uh, and suggesting that there's something, uh, either an enzyme or something alive on the hops that are, that are driving it. You you really wanted to identify the source of hop creep. Walk us through your thought process. So my thinking was uh, there were two potential sources. One was the hops themselves, and the other was microbes associated with the hops. I came at this uh, biased because I have a microbiology background. And I thought, oh, for sure, it's going to be the microbes. I don't know that much about plant biology. I know something about plants, but just enough. And uh, it, it didn't, the most parsimonious explanation was, oh, there's microbes on the hops. We know there's microbes on hops. Uh, we know if you're a hop grower, you battle the microbes. You, you battle the fungi, right? It's one of the most destructive things in your hop yard. And you spray fungicides to keep the keep the fungi at, at bay so we know there's microbes on hops uh and at the time i was thinking oh and we know that those that the fungi and possibly bacteria on hops we know that microbes are great sources of enzymes if you use enzymes in your in your brew house uh to assist your mash those enzymes were industrially produced from fungi for example um on the other hand the the hops themselves didn't seem like a likely contributor of, of, of amylolytic, you know, starch degrading enzymes, mostly because, well, 
Hops aren't very starchy. Why would they have amylases? So going into this, I thought, well, it's either the microbes or the hops. I'm rooting for the microbes. I'll start with the microbes because it's, it's easy to get the microbes off the hops and look at them in isolation separate from the hops. Looking at the hops in isolation from the microbes would be more challenging. Uh, so I went the easy route first. So what, was, what exactly was your approach to uh, in, in terms of investigating the impact of microbes? Step one was to isolate microbes. And I did that using uh, a couple of different approaches. And I chose more than one approach because uh, cultivation is inherently selective. That is, the conditions that you use to isolate the microbes will select for some microbes and select against others. So I used both liquid media, uh, putting uh, hop, ground up hop uh, pellet material into liquid media. And I also used solid media, uh, sprinkling uh, ground up uh, pelletized hops onto solid media. And I used uh, some media that did not contain starch, uh, that is media that is uh, used generally to grow wild yeast and, and mold and, and, and fungi. And I also used medium containing starch to select for uh, starch degrading and uh, uh, microbes. That was, uh, that was step one, is isolate the microbes. And then once I had isolates, uh, and those appeared, uh, you know, within a week, certainly, in the incubator, I had fuzzy colonies of, uh, of fungi on uh, plates that I had sprinkled hops on. And I had some, you know, some, some fungal biomass floating around in the liquid media uh, that had had uh, hops added. And so what, what I did then was I used routine microbiological methods to isolate single colonies with a, a flamed wire loop and auger plates. And I, I streaked them out. Everything going forward, I streaked out on auger plates containing uh, starch. And streak them out until I got a, a consistent morphology. And then I had a collection, a culture collection of mostly fungi and a couple of bacteria uh, that I could then assay for the ability to degrade starch. And, and the first thing I did was grow those microbes uh, on starch as I had isolated them and, and purified them and look for the uh, evidence that they degraded starch in the agar medium. And I did that using iodine staining. Just like the iodine standing we use uh, to determine if the mash is finished, to determine if the, all the starches has been uh, consumed in the, in the mash, put iodine on the auger plate after the microbes have grown. And if they have, you'll see uh, that the, the plate in general stains blue-black, but up close to the, the, the microbial biomass where the, the enzymes have been released out into the medium to degrade that starch, releasing glucose maltose that the microbe can then take up there's a clearing zone there's no staining it's like a starch negative iodine test right up close to the, to the biomass and that's what i saw for a number of of the fungal isolates and one of the bacterial isolates so i had evidence that these these microbes are isolated degraded actual starch that was in the medium tell me more about the the actual uh fungi that you observed what exactly was growing on hot pellets. 
the fungi that I, that I isolated were very common fungi. There was nothing exotic about them. I isolated penicillium genera and alternaria genera. And you find them on agricultural stuff all the time. So there's nothing really surprising that I saw those fungi. And I, I did that identification by doing uh, ITS uh, gene sequencing. I was a little disappointed that I didn't find a higher diversity of microbes in my culture collection. I, I only had these two genera. Uh, and that's one of the shortcomings of the approach that I took here was because uh, cultivation can be so selective. I got, well, I got what people find in general, but okay, but that's fine. Um, they degraded starch in culture, which was uh, halfway to my goal of proving that these microbes were driving hop creep. And did, did you find those, uh, did you find those fungi on, I mean, is this like just in Cascade or something, or was this across uh, multiple uh, cultivars or, you know? I looked, at all, I looked at all of the cultivars that we had in the brewery at the time uh, that are typically used in, in, uh, in dry hopping, you know, Citra, Azaka, you know, some Cascades. Uh, what was the other one? Yeah, all the all the typical oh, mosaic. That's a good one. Yeah. So yeah, all the I, I chose hops that we use in in dry hopping. Yeah. So going back to that question of do bacteria and fungi drive hop creep? What happened next? So so I had evidence that the microbes I isolated were capable of degrading starch in culture and the real proof of the pudding would be well do they actually drive hop creep in fermenting wort or in finished beer and the next experiments i did looked at that precisely i grew up some uh, bacterial biomass and fungal biomass of the starch degrading microbes separated them from the media for the bacteria i, I used centrifugation to separate the bacterial biomass from the spent medium and for the fungi, a lot of them were, were buoyant, so they didn't sediment in the centrifuge. So I, I collected them on a filter, saved the filtrate, and uh, the, these were sterile filters. I then you know, cut the filter into pieces and used that as a, a vector to drop the, the microbes into beer. And the beer I used was a commercially available pale ale that I know is tunnel pasteurized. So there was no background uh, microbes in there. It's just the ones that I added. And what I did was I set up a lot of bottles, cases of beer. I had a whole stack of these <laughs> cases of beer in my lab for the months that I was doing these assays. And I started off uh, one long weekend uh, opening the bottles, adding Chico yeast to drive the uh, continued fermentation if there was going to be any, and then adding either the fungal biomass or the yeast biomass or the spent medium from the fungal cultures or the bacterial cultures, which I had previously assayed using the colorimetric enzyme assay. So I knew there were enzymes in there. Uh, I did controls where I didn't add any microbes. And I also included controls where I added hops to, to you know, reproduce the hop group phenomenon there in parallel with my assay. Put crowns back on those bottles stack them up and come back a week later, two weeks later uh, on the weekends to measure alcohol production, 
and uh, decrease in uh, in in uh, gravity. And what'd you find? Well, you know, it, I, I there was lots of anticipation every weekend. I'd go <laughs> in, crack these bottles open. It's like this time I'm going to start seeing something, and nothing happened after two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I got to week five, and I was still not seeing anything. Uh, the, the the positive control with the hops added. Oh yeah, they took off right away. I yeah, oh, I overpressurized those bottles right away. Um, but you know, in in the treatments with the the microbes added or the spent media that those microbes had grown up in, uh, I never saw anything. And uh, at that point, I uh, was starting to realize that you know maybe I was wrong. Maybe it's not the microbes. And in fact, I don't have any evidence that it is the microbes. So I had to take a break and, and think about what I was going to do next. Um, one, one consideration I had was, well, you know, I, I, I was using one fungus and one bacterium, and there's probably a whole community of bacteria and fungi associated with hops, a lot of which may not grow in, under cultivation conditions that I used. So maybe I'm missing them. Maybe I'm missing the right microbes. So. What I did was I, I made some moldy hops. I, I, I sprinkled some hops on starch-containing auger plates, put them in the incubator, came back a week later. Lots of moldy, you know, just kind of enriched the community on the hops uh, with fungi and bacteria that I could get a lot of biomass there. And then I put the whole, put the whole moldy hop mess into forced attenuation assays. So this wasn't finished beer. But I did it in in a essentially a, a forced attenuation assay with a with a an experimental wort that I made starting with dry malt extract and I added a lot of dextrin malt so there was a lot of you know potential substrate there for continued attenuation and included chico yeast and even that even even adding a a lot of moldy hops did not drive hop creep that is that that those those forced attenuations didn't uh, go any lower in gravity and didn't produce any more alcohol than the controls uh, that didn't have those microbes added. Uh, but it, but of course, I did a positive control. I added, you know, some hop pellets, and sure enough, yeah, just like you would expect, there was hop creep when I added the the hops to that experimental wort. So now, so now I was really uh, had had a whole. Now I had double the negative results. And I had to take a take a pause and think. Well, what am I going to do with this? Because uh, you really can't publish a negative result like that. <laughs> it's not. It's a because because the because a negative result's hard to interpret. You never know. Even though I had the controls, I had negative controls, positive controls. Um, but maybe there's something about the assay that you know I didn't really reproduce uh, what's going on with hop creep. Certainly in the packaged beer. The conditions that I used were a little different from what you see in, in true packaged beer. One is I opened those bottles and closed them back up. So I introduced a lot of oxygen. Uh, that's, that's different from a beer that you packaged and put away and then all of a sudden realized later, oh, wow, there's hop creep. It's never been opened, right? So I introduced oxygen. Um, also, the microbes that I isolated were isolated under aerobic conditions. Uh, I really didn't have an alternative. I didn't really have a, a convenient way to isolate microbes anaerobically. Uh, 
And also, I didn't really think that was necessary because any microbes that were on the hops certainly live on in an aerobic environment on the hops. Right. There might, you know, there there might be some little uh, micro environments in the little nooks and crannies of hops that might get a little low oxygen tension at some time if there was enough microbial activity. But in general, anything that's going to be living on the hops is living in an aerobic environment anyway. So it would it would be a, a microbe that can go both ways, like some like our fruit spoilers, right? You know, lactobacillus can grow aerobically and microaerophilically. So I was casting a net for microbes like beer spoilers that we already know about. Coming up. I thought, well, I need something that's like hops, that's not exactly hops. And natural choice was to look at cannabis. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. Sponsored by CanCraft and BSG. Need cans? CanCraft has you covered. Get blank, sleeved, and printed aluminum beverage. Low minimums plus full service support from design through delivery. No matter the size of your business, CanCraft's design and aluminum specialists are here to guide you every step of the way. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com backslash CanCraft for your complete packaging solution. Have you exceeded your growth plans and looking to build a new cellar? Alpha Laval can help with your cold block project. Based on our own core components, construction sets, process, know-how, and experienced engineering team, the Alpha Laval project culture ensures a proactive mindset that allows us to work closely with our customers to execute the best tailored cold block process solution each time. With focus on reducing water, energy, and carbon footprint with the highest product quality at lowest operational and maintenance cost, call on AlphaVal to help you accomplish your production expansion goals. Visit us at alphaval.us MBAA to learn more. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Milwaukee meets at 3rd Space Brewing September 15th. Don't miss the Using CellPose 2.0 and Open Source Deep Neural Network for Yeast Cell Counting webinar on September 19th. District Eastern Canada meets in Montreal September 21st. The District Ontario Iron Brewer Competition is September 23rd. 
District New England meets at Counterweight Brewing September 23rd. District Northwest meets in Olympia October 21st and 22nd. The District Midwest Technical Conference is October 28th and 29th. District Great Plains meets November 11th and 12th at Free State Brewing in Lawrence. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Back to the show. Okay, so so what now? Well, so now I uh, I thought, well, maybe uh, maybe the hops really are responsible for driving hop creep. I had I had to look at that, uh, and uh, I. Uh, was a little reluctant to do that because not being uh, a plant biologist, it could turn into a real rabbit hole. Uh, I, I could be doing things that didn't make sense at all to a, to a well-trained uh, plant biologist. So I, I wanted to, to check off the box that this was going to be a worthwhile pursuit, that, uh, that it really was something specific to the hops, that it wasn't some phenomenon that's just, you know, associated with plant material in general. And that's a distinct possibility because plants are going to have a lot of glycosyl hydrolases, that is enzymes that degrade different kinds of polysaccharides. And, you know, maybe the, there's a, a, a little bit of starch degrading activity associated with some of these enzymes. And that's why to see hop creep, you have to add a lot of hops to a, to a beer. Uh, people have been dry hopping beers for a long time and never saw hop creep. It was only with the introduction of large editions of hops, you know, more than a pound per barrel, that we started to recognize hop creep as a problem. So it, it seemed possible to me that, you know, this is a non-specific activity of any plant material. So I wanted to rule that out, that I wasn't going to be going looking at hops when really the question should be about plant material in general. So I looked for a negative control to, 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 uh, pinpoint that yes hops are specifically driving hop creep and uh i thought well i need something that's like hops that's not exactly hops and the obvious choice to what was to look at plants that are closely related to hops in the same family and hops are in the cannabaceae family natural uh choice was to look at cannabis cannabis uh these days is readily available uh I used cannabis that was non-psychoactive that's available here in Baltimore in vape shops. It's, uh, it's, a, it's tenfold less expensive than psychoactive uh, <laughs> cannabis. I guess you get what you pay for. Uh, it made my uh, experiment uh, pretty, uh, pretty inexpensive for $7. I got all the, hops I, all the cannabis I needed. So I set up a, uh, a forced attenuation assay, and I added hops to one. I added cannabis to another and had a control with, with, with nothing added. And what I was expecting to see was hop creep with hops added, no hop creep with cannabis added, and a negative control with no uh, hop creep. 
But to my surprise, the cannabis was just as uh, capable of driving hop creep as the hops. And that was, a, that was an eye-opening experience. And it actually turned out to be a very fortuitous uh, choice for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, so there it was. Uh, this pointed to the possibility that maybe hop creep is, is really just driven by any old plant material. It can be hops. It can be cannabis. I searched one more time to get a good negative control. And in this round of experiments, I used oregano, a culturally similar plant material to cannabis, uh, but very distantly related. Uh, and sure enough, thankfully, oregano did not drive hop creep. In forced attenuation assays with controls, hops added, with negative controls, nothing added. Uh, there was no difference in the attenuation of a forced attenuation assay between a negative control with nothing added and the oregano added. So there I was off the hook uh, having to tell some story about there being some you know, non-specific activity in any plant material to drive hop creep uh, because oregano wouldn't, wouldn't drive hop creep. So there's something about cannabis and there's something about hops that appear to drive hop creep. Uh, it turns out that there's been a lot more genetic exploration at the genomic level of cannabis than hops. There's several finished genomes of cannabis in the publicly available databases. Uh, not so for hops. There's there's some hot genomes out there, but but they haven't been finished to the extent that the uh, cannabis genomes have. And and by finished, I mean Nobody has sat down and typed in the names, the identifying text names of all of the genes in the hop genome, whereas that has been done for, for cannabis. Uh, and probably and not for oregano. Probably not for oregano. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably less. No. Uh, and, and what was really interesting was uh, there's actually a, a proteome of cannabis available. and. The proteome is the collection of all of the proteins that we think are derived or encoded in the, the genome of an organism. So I was able to search that collection, the proteome of, of, of cannabis, for the word amylase to see if there was anything in there that was consistent with what I was seeing in the forced attenuation assays. And sure enough, I found 15 amylases. Uh, alpha and beta analyses in in the proteome of 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 cannabis. Now, those are not actual proteins; they're conceptual proteins. They're if you were to take the the, the known gene sequences in the genome of cannabis and then translate them in the computer, their conceptual translation into proteins, they look like they would be alpha and beta analyses, and and that's what I found. The that that search is not possible for the cannabis genome right now, uh, but because cannabis and and hops are so similar, there's likelihood that one can find homologous analogous genes in in the two genomes. So that's what I did. So I used uh, some bioinformatic tools to compare the amylase genes in cannabis i actually used the conceptual translation i used the 
you know, the possible proteins from cannabis and compared them to the genome of, of hops to see if there are any matches. Are there any genes in hops that match genes that encode amylases in, in cannabis? And lo and behold, I found a one-to-one match. Every, every one of the 15 amylases uh, that are very likely encoded in the cannabis genome turned up a match in the hop genome. And that was, that was new. Nobody's done that before. That, that, was, a, that was a novel observation. Uh, and that really opened up the possibility of understanding, you know, what is the mechanism? What is the genetic mechanism underlying hop creep? And after that, I believe you actually used PCR to confirm some of these genes, right? Yeah, so I did all this, all this computer analysis uh, with public, publicly available databases and comparing protein sequences to DNA sequences and finding matches. But, that, but that's in cyberspace, that's in the computer. Uh, it's with hop genomes that are not from the hops that we are typically using today uh, for dry hopping. So I felt it was important to get some real world, you know, hops in my hands data. You know, do these citra hops that I'm going to use in a in a in a in a brew today? Do these citra hops have the genes that encode amylases? So I did a DNA extraction to get some hop DNA. I designed some PCR primers that target an alpha amylase and a beta amylase that I suspect are there. And then I did a, a polymerase chain reaction experiment, a PCR. And lo and behold, got a positive amplicon that had the right size of the amplicon based on the, the, uh, the primers that I had designed for the alpha and beta amylase. And then I sent off that PCR product for DNA sequencing to confirm that the sequence matches, the, what I amplified matches the sequence in, in the hop genome, and it did. So that, that was real good, you know, pretty good real world uh, evidence that the, uh, the evidence that I saw in databases actually translates into the real, real world into hops that we're using to brew beer today. At the Brewing Summit, you put up an article about beta amylase genes and kiwi fruit. Why do we care about kiwi fruit here? Other than that, it's delicious, of course. Yeah, this was a, a really uh, inventive experiment done with with kiwi fruit to try to tease out. Well, why do plants have beta amylases? And uh, it turns out that it's pretty widespread in plants. It's not just in hops. It's not just in cannabis. Kiwi fruit uh, produce amylases and also Arabidopsis, which is a, a laboratory lab rat for plants and encodes uh, amylases as well. And, and these guys did this really interesting study with uh, kiwi fruit growing out in the field. They did an experiment to test the idea that amylases, beta amylases, in kiwi fruit play a role in uh, protecting the plant against freezing by freezing point depression. 
we know that the product of beta amylases is maltose, a, you know, a sugar, a, a disaccharide that you dissolve in water, like any saw you, you dissolve in water, it's going to cause it to freeze at a lower temperature. Well, what these guys did was they, they found that over the seasons, summer, fall, winter, they, they saw changes, they saw increases in maltose concentrations in the plants in the field as the temperatures decreased in the colder months. And they also looked for the, uh, t- the transcription of beta amylases in those plants. And sure enough, it correlated uh, with, their, with the higher maltose production in the cooler months. That is, they saw higher transcription of the beta amylase genes during the colder months. It's really suggesting that these beta amylase genes are somehow related to temperature and possibly in protecting the plants from, from, from freezing. And there's been even more of that work done in laboratory setting with Arabidopsis. What does all this mean and what's next? Well, what this means is that uh, hop creep is probably unavoidable to some extent because it's in the hops. If it had been associated with microbes, maybe there were some corrective actions that could be taken to, to minimize the extent of, of uh, microbes associated with hops. But from from my work, it, it really suggests that, you know, we're kind of stuck with it, that the, the amylases are in the hops. There's still some work to be done to, uh, to demonstrate that the hops actually, that the genes in the hops are actually transcribed into an RNA that's translated into a protein that actually has amylase activity. That, that would be next. That would be, that's a, that's a good master's thesis or <laughs> doctoral dissertation for some, somebody out there. Um, that, that would be, that'd be good, good work to do. Uh, that's definitely next. Uh, and then let's say if that were to pan out, if, if one were to really show that, yes, we, we have identified the genetic uh, underpinnings of hop creep, it, it might be possible to do something about it. We don't have to just take the hops with their hop, with their amylase producing enzymes. Uh, it's, might be possible to knock out those genes that that encode the amylases if they're not required for growth we don't know that uh it it seems i'm not really sure how that would shake out because there there are there are plenty of these genes in the hops and it seems like they might be important if there's lots of these genes but anyway let's say you could knock out those genes using crispr technology which has been used in hops to knock out genes that are involved in uh pigment production in, in in hops. So in principle, one could make, uh, you know, hop creep safe hops uh, through genetic engineering. All right. Going back to something you mentioned in your paper, I guess, um, why do you think, uh, can, why do you think maybe controlling the downy and powdery mildews that give hop growers such a hard time? What do you think they might be part of the puzzle here? Well, it is still possible that microbes contribute somehow to hop creep. Uh, and, I, and I say that because, you know, the microbes in my hands gave me a negative result. That doesn't mean that under some different conditions with a different beer or different uh, comp- work composition, one might see a contribution of, uh, of microbial enzymes to hop creep. And I, I, I still think that possibility is open. I, I, that is a, still a distinct possibility because there's some, there's some 
correlative uh, suggestive data pointing to uh, fungi on hops contributing to hop creep. Uh, there's been some work done with you know hops in a hop yard with different levels of effort to applying fungicide to control uh, the fungi. And in, in, that, and in that study, uh, there was more hop creep associated with the hops that had received less attention to uh, minimizing the fungi on the hops. So that's, that's a correlation. Uh, it, it's certainly suggestive that there might be something there. And I think there, there very well could be. It's just I was not able to demonstrate that. That was Matt Cottrell here on the Master Brewers Podcast. To learn more, check out Matt's 2022 Brewing Summit presentation or his recent publication in the journal of the ASPC. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.